This is Bariatric Stories, and I am Rinda. Before I get into episode one, I just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for listening. I am humbled and blessed to find that since posting my intro about a week ago, I found that Bariatric Stories has become available across a handful of podcasting platforms. So I am very thankful about that. And it kind of gives me the extra nudge to like, you know, what? it's motivating and I'm like ready to really move forward with this project. So thank you again so much for listening and giving me the opportunity to share and others a chance to share their bariatric stories. So here we go with episode number one, as I mentioned in the teaser last week, Wednesday, Thursday. It's about upbringing. I am taking it back. You know, most, I believe myself, I think that our bariatric stories does not start from the day you have your surgery. There's always a backstory to every journey. Or like we would say nowadays, there's always a backstory to every movie. You know, you watch a movie and then 10 years down the road, they're talking about how that character became, you know, with a lot of movies nowadays, there's a lot of backstories. But anyway, that's where I'm coming across as my bariatric journey does not start from the day of my surgery. So I'm going to take it back and just a little backstory about myself. Yes, my name is Renda, last name Pacquiao, and it is actually pronounced as the fighter if you're into boxing and whatnot and then there's Manny Pacquiao it's pronounced the same way just spelled a little differently Um, but my family is from the Philippines I just never met that side family so I am born and raised in Hawaii on the island of Oahu the east side of it smaller towns you know you have some countrysides with pastures and whatnot I am the eldest of four we grew up in a household that, uh, in a home that was pretty much on a one acre property, father's electrician, you know, mom worked in as a cashier and whatnot growing up. And we were always busy. We were always somewhat active. We'd come home from school and you're lucky you get us to settle down and do our homework. <laughs> you know, we'd be out riding our bicycles up and down the neighborhood or out in the yard helping my father with the yard or with the small animals that he had or the small garden that he was working and tending to. That was pretty much a type of uh, the lifestyle we had at home. Grandparents on both sides, uh, their homes were actually beachfront. So, you know, when we'd go over and meet our grandparents, we never stayed indoors. They practically chased us out the house just to keep busy. So growing up, visiting our grandparents, we were either out on the beach or playing along the shoreline one side family there were a lot of trees so you know we're like a bunch of monkeys climbing all over the place my father's side family when it came to food um like they would say here locally you know hawaiian style you know you you eat if you're hungry just eat um my grandmother had like a goodie bin you know we never really raided it (laughs) I mean, she, she kind of, she regulated it pretty fine. But then, you know, if we're playing all day and we're running in and we want something cold and sweet, you know, we're not going to go for the fruit. We're going to go and ask grandma, you know, if we could have like the ice cream cup that's in the freezer or a candy bar that she had in the goodie bin and whatnot, or some chips if we wanted something salty. 
but then we wouldn't just sit there, would grab what we wanted and then run out into the yard and continue on with our business. Same with my mother's side family, um, actually just her father. Uh, my grandfather, he had a beachfront home and he had a pier out front. So we would always be fishing or jumping on someone's boat and paddling out somewhere and just being out on the water. But it was never a dull moment growing up. Um, at home, we would, you know, ride our bicycles, be out in the yard doing things. And we never wanted to come back into the house because that's when things got boring. Television growing up was not a big thing. Um, I'm a child of the 80s. So all through the early part of the 80s, I was in grade school and intermediate. So TV was not the major thing in our household unless we're watching the news or watching some kind of an educational show. <laughs> so we never, we could care less about TV. We were out in the yard until our mothers called us in and it got too dark. But I would say I wasn't always a heavy kid, but I do remember all through my um, elementary years. When, let me see, from grades, preschool, to, no, I did not go to preschool. I'm sorry. From kindergarten through sixth grade, all I wore was dresses because it was easier to shop for. So I said, I, was, I wasn't a super heavy kid, but maybe a little bit heavier. I would say fluffier for a child my age that I wouldn't fit. And the usual, you know, I wouldn't fit in the clothes that you would just walk into a store and just grab the clothes off the rack and everything. A lot of the clothes I got was either hand-me-downs from my older cousins because I didn't fit the cut of clothing, you know, the girls' clothing cut differently and was kind of tight for me. The boys' clothes seemed to fit me a lot better because they were wider or more square cut, not fitted. So... A lot of hand-me-down clothes from my older cousins, boys' pants, because it had more room for, like, the thigh and, you know, the mid-area. I would say I was in the fifth grade, and I was already shopping through my mother's closet for clothes. Um, she was an adult medium at the time. She was, she was an adult medium. And by the fifth grade, I was already wearing her blouses. If there were certain pants or clothing that I couldn't fit in, she started sewing a lot of my clothes. So, you know, instead of shopping for clothes, we would go to the fabric mart and go through patterns and to choose which patterns that I thought was pretty cool. And then she could make like a whole barrage of different shirts from the different materials that we pick. And she would, that's how I'd get my, my blouses. Same with pants, you know, you get the pattern, you buy the material, then you go and look for something for the pants to match all the shirts that she's going to be making. So that was pretty much how I was getting a lot of my new clothes. Um, my mom sold a lot of my clothes for school. Intermediate, seventh and eighth grade, um, still a lot of hand-me-downs and whatnot. I would say, you know, when it came to P.E., uh, physical education in school I didn't really participate I didn't like running laps I would walk it 
<laughs> PE was not my favorite. You know, if I was at home, yeah, I would run up and down the street. I'll be on my bike, um, climbing things. But then when it came to physical education in school, I dreaded it. All through elementary, I, I didn't like doing pull-ups. Um, we did all the warm-up exercises. I think that was the most I would ever wanted to participate in. But running laps, no. Intramural activities in intermediate high school, no. I mean, I actually, I think it was the seventh grade. I do believe it was seventh grade that I actually got an F in PE because I wasn't dressing out. And I would spend, and when you don't dress out, you spend the whole class just running laps, which I don't run. So I spent the whole class walking around the field. And, um, because I wouldn't participate in anything else because I didn't dress out. So if you don't dress out, you don't participate. So I got an FMPE. I don't know how I made that up, but it's not like I failed seventh or eighth grade because I did move on to high school. High school, we only needed one credit uh, requirement of PE. So I took it on the summer before going into ninth grade, my freshman year. So I got that over with and I'd have to worry about it in the next four years but I did start to put on a bit more weight I would say just imagining my my school pictures I think I started to get really heavy like fifth sixth grade seven and eighth grade not so bad and then ninth grade something happened and that sort of changed things a bit for me in the first quarter of ninth grade I got sick and in my weight may have been one of the contributing factors of this, this ailment that I had. It was, um, it was a school day and I spent the whole day having these pains and I thought they were like side pains or crampings or whatnot, you know, maybe like my monthly visitor was coming or something. So I just thought maybe I didn't drink enough fluids. Maybe I could have been constipated. You know, who knows? But it was a constant all day through school, through the afternoon at home. It was very uncomfortable until late that evening. And it was a school day and it was a school night. And um, I believe it was like either 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And I would walk through my home and I'd look at my parents and I just dropped to my knees and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it hurts. It hurts really bad. So my folks were like, okay, let's go. You know, my father drove me into ER, uh, triage, evaluation. A couple of tests later, I was in the operating room. Um, doctors thought it was my appendix because the pain was on that side, the right side. When the doctor went in thinking it was my appendix, he found a cyst, and not just any cyst. It was a ovarian cyst. It was a size of a softball, and my right ovary was attached to it, and it was dead. So when I came out of recovery, my mother told me, with the doctor, that it wasn't my appendix. He went in, and he found a cyst, 
and my right ovary was attached to it and it was dead. So that became a concern right there. Um, and my mom saw it. You know, if we had smartphones back then, <laughs> I think I would have had a picture of it. But my mom said she saw it. It was the size of a softball. And after that surgery, my mother talked about the case with uh, her OBGYN. And uh, he became concerned. And he, he kind of took a look at my case. And I went in and saw him. And he believed that because of my weight, it was one of the contributing factors of why I had the cyst. So that's when my whole journey of really trying to lose weight and get it under control. All through high school, my parents, you know, along with them, you know, they were they were there supporting me. So they would try these programs. Um, it's either going to like a facility or a clinic or, you know, I mean, no affiliation. I don't have no affiliation with like Jenny Craig or whatnot. Um, no money from them either. I'm just, you know, stating like the examples that of the programs that I was with. Jenny Craig, Slim Fast, uh, Fortunate Light. I forgot what that was really all about. But, you know, the programs, these programs are all really good and they're very helpful. It's just I never stuck with it being a teenager in high school. And, <laughs> you know, you're at that... For me, it was like, oh my gosh, I have to lose weight. My parents are signing me up for all these programs and they're doing it with me, which is fine. It's, they're showing support. But at the same time, it, for me, I felt kind of like embarrassed because I have to do this with my parents. But they're just doing it because if they weren't going through this whole process with me, I wouldn't have done it at all, which sort of did not work because it never lasted long with them or with me and we all just kind of stopped so <laughs> so you know I went through all these programs even doing shakes and and pills and stuff whatnot with the programs like you know we have when you when you work with a uh, independent distributor um again with the companies that I'm going to mention you know I have no affiliation no money, you know, nothing and nothing bad about it. I did do like Herbalife, Melaleuca, you know, a handful of, you know, in that direction. And of course, it was all really great. And it did work from the beginning. Like a lot of the programs that for me that I started with worked really good, but I never stuck with it. You know, like about a few months along, it's like I start tapering off, you know, not doing the shakes or sticking with sticking with the program like I should, the bad habits start seeking in and everything. So that pretty much how it was all through high school. I graduated from high school in 92, couldn't find what interests I was really into and what direction my life was going to go. You know, I had no aspirations to <laughs> what kind of career I wanted to um, get into at the time when I got out, when I graduated from high school. So I was just dabbling in every little thing. And um, thinking back in uh, 2004, things were a little rough with the family life um, in the household. And I got sick. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time. But then, um, you know, you have your, I would have my monthly 
visitor and just just this one time you know I'd go through my cycle and it doesn't stop and I was kind of like in a dark patch mentally and emotionally that okay something's wrong you know I I was hemorrhaging a month goes by two months go by six months go by and yeah something is definitely wrong but my mind my mindset at the time wasn't right so I didn't care because I was like okay something's wrong with me but okay whatever who cares you know one year of that happening non-stop you know, it'd be light some days. Usually it was just light. Sorry, maybe this is a bit graphic, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, it got to a point that I became anemic and I did hide it from my family. Trust me, I was able to hide it from my family, even though I had, you know, constantly had to replenish sanitary napkins. But I always had a stash. Knowing something was wrong, I became anemic. And it went on for almost a year until one day I was helping my mother with laundry, the clothes lying outside in the yard, and I got really weak that I got dizzy and I almost collapsed. So I told her, oh, I'm just not feeling well and everything. And she goes, well, your color doesn't look right. She goes, there's, there's something going on. So, you know, I, I went on in my way and I, I, I did whatever I had to do throughout the day. And a voice in my head just told me, you know what, just tell her. So I told my mom what was going on for the year. She didn't know whether to cry or choke me. But immediately she had me make the appointment to see with the OBGYN. Who was constantly scolding me every time I went to see him. And he's really concerned about my weight. He's a very passionate and very caring person. And I knew he cared. He was He's a very good doctor. So anyway, becoming anemic almost fainting in front of my mom. She goes and makes the appointment right away for me to see the guy, um, the OBGYN. And when I do go to see him, he looks at me, he checks me out. And with I tell him everything and he's standing there and he's looking at me trying to be the stern doctor that he is, you know, the, but he's a tough guy, but at the same time, extremely caring. But he just, he just so looked like he was about to cry because he's like he's hurt and worried at the same time so he goes you know what let's do these tests and really do a good thorough workup but I don't want to say but it's 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 something that I think that what it could possibly be but I want to have all these tests done to confirm before I actually say what it is so I was like yeah sure whatever okay and uh, I'm pretty. He he knew what was going on at home too. So he looked at my mom, and my father was there too. And he's like, he sat down with the three of us, and he goes, "I don't know how things are at home right now, if things got any better or what, but she doesn't seem to care. And this this could be really serious. But until we have all these tests done, I I don't want to say what it is. So did all the tests." Got all the results, went back for another consult with him, sat down with my mom and my father, and he said, yep, it confirmed what he thought it would be, and it was cancer. I had cancer in the uterus, and it was what was causing the hemorrhaging. 
He said he doesn't know how serious it was until he goes in to check. He says if it's within the uterus, he'd be able to remove it completely and I may not need to have treatment or if it's spread beyond the uterus, but then he, he won't know for sure until he goes in. So he goes, the only major concern before the surgery is that my weight. At the time, I was pulling probably 260, 260, 280. And I was about 19, 20 years old around that time. And he says, it's a risk with your weight. And it would be much better if I could try to pull down a bit because he doesn't, he's like straight up, trust me. He was like straight up. He goes, I don't want to lose you on the table because there could be complications because of the weight when he goes in. So he was really worried about that. But he understood that he could read me, that my my mindset at the time, I was kind of like angry and resentful and I didn't really care what uh, outcome it was you know because I was sick and I knew what it was and I didn't care so I, I I did I lost a little bit of the weight leading up to the surgery which was a week after my 21st birthday so somewhere in July <laughs> So, 2006, July, about a week after my 21st birthday, I went in for surgery, not knowing how the outcome was going to be. Of course, everything worked out pretty good because I'm still here. So, in recovery, I decided, you know, I just need to stop this BS and this attitude and this whole very unhealthy mindset and everything on myself and just move forward and just totally get over the crap that the family went through two years ago you know like get over it already I went back to school I went to a community college try to find some kind of a focus in what direction I want to go um, what field I want to get into and um, try to do my best and getting my weight under control. Um, again, trying different programs, uh, getting back into some of the, the previous programs I was into to see what I could do, try to be more active. My weight was like a roller coaster, you know, and, and like most normal stories that you hear, you know, you lose a great bunch of weight, you gain more, then you lose, and but you gain a little more, and it was just up and down, up and down, up and down. Actually, you know what? For a brief moment, I'm just going to take it back a little bit right after graduation from high school. Um, with the weight fluctuating and hitting between 230 and 250, um, my PCP was already you know, trying to say, you need to get your weight under control. Otherwise, you might have to do um, bariatric surgery. So... It was already kind of mentioned the early part of the 90s or maybe like the late 80s. Um, it was already kind of mentioned that, you know, if you really need to get your weight under control because you could have all these problems and my blood pressure was getting high. And they said, you know, if you don't get this under control, you know, you, you 
you might have to have bariatric surgery or the gastric bypass. And I was like, you know, for me, my, my thoughts on it was like, no, I can do it myself. I don't need to have surgery to lose weight. I mean, who does that? You know, that was my mindset. You know, that's what it was for me. Okay, fast forward. After graduation from high school, I had a classmate that she had problems dealing with her weight too. And she went, I didn't even know about it until after she did it. I, I kind of noticed that she was losing weight. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You know, what have you been, you know, what have you been taking? Or what kind of program are you on? Or what changes have you made? And she goes, oh, no, I had the surgery. I said, what surgery? And she goes, I had the uh, gastric bypass. And at the time, it was like, not taboo to talk about, but it's it wasn't. The thing to do, you know, like it was, you know, if you knew somebody who did the surgery, you're like, oh, you weak, you couldn't do it. You lazy. You went the lazy way. You went surgery and cut the thing out. And, you know, it was, it was, it had the kind of vibe. So my friend was like, oh, I had the surgery. I go, when? She goes, oh, last year. And I'm like, you know, I, I was very supportive at her, but in the back of my head, I'm like, how could she do that? She could she could have lost the weight without the surgery, you know. But that was my thinking back then. So with that going on and, you know, every time I go see the doctors for something, they would always say, you need to have a control on your weight or you're going to end up having bypass surgery. So that always followed hand in hand whenever it had anything to do with my weight. Okay, so fast forward now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> fast forward now. And um, this is after the, the cancer surgery. So yes, I'm clear of cancer. It was in the uterus and it went out with the uterus. And all the other following tests after that, it was clear. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Years following that, my blood pressure sort of got out of hand. So I had to deal with trying all these different types of blood pressure medications to get under control. You know, one type would make me too tired. One type would just make me just feel funky. So, you know, trying to get my blood pressure under control was no fun. And then I would say around 2006, maybe 2007, something came up and my doctor wanted me to do a sleep test. And I've had friends that went through it. So I was like, okay, I didn't think much about it. Um, what, what, what is this test for? You know, he goes, he wanted to see if, because I was always tired, you know, I would wake up, I'd wake up tired. And they just wanted to see if I was getting enough quality sleep and real true deep sleep through the night. After I did that, then he concluded, yeah, I do have sleep apnea and I stopped breathing like a good amount of number of times while I was sleeping during the test. So I ended up on the CPAP and that kind of drew the line for me. <laughs> and that was like around 2008. I think I was on a CPAP for like maybe four months and I was over it. I, I didn't like sleeping with it, although I slept really good with it. Just the idea of me sleeping with that thing on my face and the hose and I'm a side sleeper and I rock back and forth when I sleep and just 
in the back of my head, I just didn't, I was afraid that I was going to get tangled up in my hose. That's just me. But I did sleep good with it. But I didn't want that for the rest of my life. And my parents, the families on both sides, you know, high blood pressure, so hypertension, high cholesterol, diabetes, it runs really strong on both side families. So for me to be on blood pressure medication and I'm sleeping with a CPAP on my face every night, it, it just drew the line for me. And this was already in 2000, I believe, 2009 or 8. And just this one day, I was in the waiting room of the hospital waiting for my aunt, who um, my mom's sister, younger sister, and she was dealing with uh, breast cancer. And so we were in a waiting room waiting for her to come out of surgery and the light just turned on and I just sat there and I looked at my mom and I said, you know what, mom, I think I'm going to do it. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to go look into it and I don't want to be like this. I said, I don't want to wait for the next thing to happen. I said, I'm not diabetic. My cholesterol is pretty good, but being on blood pressure medication and the CPAP machine is, for me, was enough. I said, I'm going to go and talk to the doctor and see if he can do the referral and see which program that he, he suggests me to go into because the doctor needs to refer you and you still need to go to like an orientation, you know. So that is when I decided to check it out. And that was, I believe, early 2009. It's funny because I wasn't scared. I didn't I didn't feel like I just gave up or I quit and I never thought of it as oh I got the easy way out like how I was towards my friend when she had the surgery years before, you know, and she was doing so good and I I've I've learned along the way that it's not the easy way out. And I watched a few things that she's been through with her procedure and it kind of got me nervous about it. But then at the same time, you know, I've, I've heard that it's different with every person. But the only way I'll know is if I went to the orientation just to check it out. Although my doctors were trying to get me to go <laughs> for years to go to the orientation and see what it was all about and get as much information as I can to decide if I want to go that route or not. You never know unless you go. I called, got the details on an upcoming orientation, and I scheduled it, and I attended it. I didn't go by myself. My mom and my aunt went with me, so that was pretty cool. And they got a lot of information out of the whole orientation, and it didn't take me long to decide. Actually, they gave you the option there at the time of the orientation. If you'd like to go forward, get the paperwork going with the whole process with the program or if you want to think about it even more and you can get back to them. I made my decision three days after that orientation and I sat down and talked with my parents about it and I was going to go through with it. That was, I believe was like mid-2009 because I had my surgery in 2010. But that's about it. I think I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple questions and then you guys can get back to me with your feedback. Okay, so with this episode one being upbringing and what I talked about with my whole backstory and everything, you know, whether you're thinking about bariatric surgery, 
or in pre-op and going through all the process before you got your surgery date or you have your surgery date and you're just waiting or you're even in uh, post-op recovery, um, adjusting to the changes of, of how your body reacts to everything or you're further along. But then I have I have questions for you too because we're all sharing this together. So question number one, what was your childhood like? You know, were you active? Um, were you raised in the country? Were you city? You know, you, what kind of a family lifestyle was it? You know, every culture, every family is different. And every, every person's upbringing is different. So what was that like? You know, if you want to share that. Um, the other thing was uh, family life around food. What, what, you know, when we would have family gatherings and I would make a small plate because I'm very picky on what I was eating. You know, I would have like my uncles or my aunts going, is that all? Go get some more food. Is is that all you're going to eat? You know, and then when you make a decent plate and you don't finish what you're eating and you get full, then you have people saying, don't waste. When are you going to finish that up? Do you know how many children out there are starving and you're going to waste all that food? So you're forced to eat it all until you're like completely uncomfortable and sick you know so that kind of thing you know um you know family life around food um weight loss programs you know what type of weight loss programs did you try you know it may have been the same similar type that i had you know programs uh fad diets uh restrictive cabbage soup what type of weight loss programs did you try or have tried or you're trying now? Um, also, health issues that may have been contributed by the extra weight or if it was hereditary or a combination of everything, you know. Um, I know some people may have had health issues that were probably a lot more severe than mine until I decided bariatric surgery. And maybe others didn't, but they wanted to prevent going down that path and like you know diabetes or any type of medical issues to even start you know to prevent it so that's the four that I would I'd, I'd like to share that's pretty much the four questions that I'm gonna shoot out there for you um either one if you want to share or not so number one what was your childhood like uh active sports outdoors family outings sedentary um, number two, family life around food. Uh, number three, weight loss programs. If you tried them or you're thinking about them or how you felt or how well you did. And then the fourth one, health issues that may have been contributed by the weight or if it was stuff that was hereditary or both. So now you're wondering, okay, you're asking us these questions. How are we going to respond or share our stories with you? Uh, you can go ahead in the description of this episode is a link to my blog. It is bariatricstories.com. Also, you can look us up on Instagram at Bariatric Stories and Facebook, of course. There are two things you can look for on Facebook. There is a Bariatric Stories group and a Bariatric Stories page. Of course, the Bariatric Stories group is a private group. So if you have done weight loss surgery, 
there's going to be a few questions for you to answer. So you can go through that and then uh, connect that way. Or if um, you're just a supporter and you're listening and um, you still kind of thinking about weight loss surgery and you haven't done the procedure, um, that's what the page is for. So we can still be somewhat connected. And you just look it up, bariatric stories, uh, like and follow the page. And it's pretty much going to be updated the same as the group. But most of the details can be found on the blog at bariatricstories.com and also on Instagram at bariatricstories. So go ahead, share your stories, answer any of the questions that I've asked, or if you have any questions, ask me. You can connect with me in any one of those. And also the link will be posted in the description of this episode. So that's pretty much episode one. This is Bariatric Stories. I am Rinda, and I will see you on episode two.